Welcome to the Herald Podcast, New Generation, a podcast created for those who desire a new way of gaining information rather than reading a traditional newspaper. In our show, we will discuss everything from sports, pop culture, politics, and local news. To stay up to date on our latest episodes, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast service, such as Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts, and you can also check us out on our website. And don't worry, we keep it short most of the time. Are you looking to be more informed about what's going on in your community? The Herald has a special digital subscription offer for new generation podcast listeners. You could sign up for a one month trial for 99 cents, then only $18.99 a month after that. With the digital subscription, you get web exclusive content, including pictures and videos, obituaries, and a searchable archive going back to 2013. You can read the Herald on the web, your mobile phone, and on our Herald app, so you can get all the Herald content and the print paper delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer. Again, that's just 99 cents for your first month. So you can go to www.sharonherald.com slash pod offer today for this special offer. Again, that's sharonherald.com slash pod offer. You're now listening to the New Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Janae Avery. And I am your other host, Tanner Mondock. And we are back with another exciting episode. And this is going to be part three of our three-part opioid epidemic series. Today in the studio, we have a special guest, Glory McAlee, who is the president of the Mercer County Coalitions for Drug and Awareness. And she oversees the Roar Center program. So thank you so much, Gloria, for coming into the studio today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Nice. So like I said, this is the third part of our three-part series. Um, Now, before we get into exactly what we're going to talk about today, we're going to take a brief break to hear from our sponsors. Ben Visit Chevrolet is Mercer County's truck headquarters. Quality new Chevrolets and outstanding pre-owned vehicles, plus an excellent service department to stand behind your vehicle purchase located on Route 19, just south of Mercer. Stop in or call Ben Visit Chevrolet today at 724-662-5440. At Sharon Regional Medical Center, they believe in the power of people to create great care. Their dedicated employees work hard every day to make Sharon Regional Medical Center a place of healing, caring, and connection for patients and families in the community we call home. For more information, go to SharonRegionalMedical.org. First National Bank provides a full range of commercial banking, consumer banking, and wealth management services, plus industry-leading online and mobile banking solutions. Call your local FNB or go online at fnb-online.com. At Chenango Valley Meat and Poultry, you will find an excellent selection of steaks, burgers, chicken wings, and everything that goes along with it. Voted Best of the Best in 2021 by Harold Readers. Stop in at 1215 East State Street in Sharon or call 724-346-6328 today. Located in Mercer County, UPMC Horizon offers a range of services and medical specialties at two campuses in Farrell and Greenville. Together with UPMC Jamison in Lawrence County, UPMC Horizon provides a regionalized approach to healthcare. If you need care, go to UPMC Horizon or UPMC.com. Thanks again, Gloria, you know, for coming on the show this week. And so... You know, we've been talking to a couple different people so far for this series, and so for this part of the series, we're going to focus all on recovery. So, 
who better to talk about that than you. So if you just kind of want to maybe give an overview in terms of what you do, you know, Janae said who you are and what you do. So if you just kind of want to say what you do there. Okay. Like you said, I'm the president of the coalition. I started as founder with uh, my husband and um, the chief of police from Sharpsville, which was Chris Hosa and Brian Davis. And we had um, sat down and we had talked about the fact that there was no help in Mercer County for those in addiction or recovery. And so that is why I actually started the Mercer County Coalition for Drug Awareness because I got caught up in the the whole thing and my granddaughter's addiction became my addiction, me chasing her around, me threatening drug dealers, me going here, going into trap houses, you know, parking out front in front of these trap houses. And so, um, like I said, we started the coalition. From there, we were looking for an office space. And so there were several, several of us in the group, you know, and um, we were looking for a place just to have an office but we came upon the Roar Center and we decided that's what we wanted, that we could um, make a center where those in addiction could come, have meetings, enjoy each other's company without using drugs. And it would be a way of helping them within the community to know that there were people out there that cared, that wanted to give them help, that we're not going to discriminate against them or judge them for what they've done because a lot of us have members in our family that have been in addiction or in recovery right now. So right now we're still working on our awareness section, you know, but more the recovery because our mission statement encompasses both those things. So we, um, have multiple meetings down at our center during the week. We uh, promote Hope is Dope, which is a program down there. We have clothing donations for people coming out of jail or out of rehab that have nothing when they leave. We do arts and crafts, and we do karaoke on weekends. We try to do things that will raise those endorphins in their head all over again because when you're using the first time you know you get this gigantic high and so you always try to replace that or get that back again and you can't and so we try to encourage people to do different things that they enjoy say we do canoeing we do kayaking in the summer you know I've been talking about possibly doing like a skydive you know, how more exhilarating can you get by jumping out of an airplane? Mm -hmm. And so things that will um, fill those receptors all over again, you know, and give them a high without touching a drug. Recovery to addiction, it is a process. It's a thing that you have to work at daily. And in the center, you've seen people come in and out. So how have you seen the center impact the different lives that you've touched? We've had uh, multiple people that it has really helped. We have several girls that are CRS workers, you know, um, not a recovery coach, but they can work with people. 
Um, they are now working at Resolutions Recovery in Farrell. You know, they come down and they do their time in the uh, center and help out. And uh, we have one girl that she did the a certain program that we were promoting, and so we gave her like a so many month externship at the center, you know, doing different things. And she's still down there. They do great, you know. There are some people that they go back out, they relapse. We've had multiple people that were in our karaoke program on Saturday nights that, you know, they're doing wonderful, and then it just takes one thing to throw them backwards, and they go back out. And we have to keep remembering we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, and we can't control it, Mm -hmm. you know, but we can do what we can do to help them through it. And what kind of things do you see that maybe like pull people away from you once they're already part of like the recovery process? Like what are some of the things that you see that like most frequently might pull someone out of that process? Okay, when someone hears that someone dies, they gravitate towards that when they find out who had that drug because instead of running away, they go, oh, that's probably some really good stuff. And so they go that way they overdose you know they're lucky if someone has the narcan to bring them back otherwise they die we have had some people's family members die you know this year another thing is if a family member dies stress you know things like that can make them go back out if they don't want it bad enough they're going to go back out some people have gone through multiple um, rehabs Okay, some of them are doing it for treatment court, and they really don't want the help. They really don't want to stop using, and as soon as they get out, they use all over again. They have to be invested in their recovery and want this for themselves. Hmm. And you did say that you had this experience firsthand with your granddaughter. So for any family members who may be struggling with someone who faces addiction, what are some signs that you can maybe see when it comes to your family members who are recovering from addiction okay when they first start using they alienate themselves from everyone say they're staying in their rooms all the time you know they're hanging out with people that you don't know or they're hanging out with people older than themselves Um, when they start using you see a change in their attitude in that they tell you I'll be home tonight at 6 o'clock. I promise I'll be there. And they don't show up. And then they're gone for three, four days. You know, they are great at manipulating and lying to you. And you don't want to believe that they're lying to you because you're not seeing the addict right now. You're still seeing who your child is or your grandchild or your sister, your brother, your mother you know, and you want to believe that they're coming home on time, you know, but that's them telling you one thing, but realizing, oh, I got to go get more drugs or whatever. And so they're not, they're telling you what you want to hear, but, and they're honest and sincere when they're saying these things, but this drug has got such a hold over them that it's, you get up in the morning, where am I going to get that drug? You're going to bed, where am I going to have that, that drug for when I wake up in the morning? Am I going to split this in half so that I have enough for tonight and 
and so much for tomorrow before I have to go out. What am I going to do to get my next hit or my next pill or whatever? And so just like during this recovery process that, you know, you're seeing firsthand, you know, at the center and all that, what are some of the like highs and lows of it all that maybe you can you can talk about? Maybe some of the lows are obvious, but, you know, just what are some of those? The lows would be the people that you've worked with down there for a long time and you've got to see them week after week and then all of a sudden they disappear and you're not hearing from them, you're not seeing them and you're hearing, you know, bits and pieces out there, you know, gossip mostly of, oh, they used again or they're back out there or whatever and you don't know. but. The highs are that we have multiple people that work within the center that are in recovery, and you can see them every day. They come in, they are great about helping out, running programs, you know, maybe doing art classes with people, being there to open and close, helping cleaning the facility, you know, because we only have, we have one program manager that's full-time down there. Everyone else is either a volunteer or we get community service workers from the courthouse um, that are in treatment court. We go through Pass Stone down in downtown Sharon and they send their workers to us that are like 55 years old and over and we can get them to come in in the morning, open up, do coffee, you know, stock the water, different things like that. So the highs are seeing recovery in action, seeing these people and they come in and they give you a hug and they thank you for being there. And then people that you haven't seen for quite a while come back in, like someone came in yesterday and she says, I remember you from the first time that I walked through these doors. You were so helpful to me, you know? And like, um, we can also, help someone that comes into the center and they say they want to get in treatment, we usually send them to behavioral health. But if it's after hours, we can just take them in the office. We start calling rehabs for them. They get on the phone. They start answering the questions. And hopefully there's a bed open and they come and pick them up the next day. You know, the family members take them home. It's really important that when someone wants to get into treatment, you get them in as soon as possible because five minutes from now, their minds are rolling and they're thinking, what am I going to do? I'm not going to have any drugs. And so the first thing they want to do down to rehab is stop and get something along the way to help them. Well, you got to make sure if you're taking your child down or they're coming in the morning at 8 o'clock, you are with them constantly so they don't have that opportunity to go out and get anything Hmm. but you can see a lot of recovery in our center a lot of people that are really happy like on saturday nights coming in for the karaoke and they sing and they sing which helps build those endorphins all over again you know things that they haven't done in a long time Right. So do you find like maybe those activities and stuff like that, are those some of the like best methods in terms of helping people or? Yes, because like I said, 
We have the karaoke. We have arts and crafts. They've made candles down there. They've made ornaments. We have ceramics down there that they paint and do those things. We have all different types of arts and crafts. And in the summer, we do activities outside. We have cornhole. We have water balloon fights, you know, different things that are fun that even mm-hmm. adults, they haven't done in a long time, you know, and they get that child in them back again and they feel good right. about different things that they're doing and they don't want to go out and use. They get so many months or years behind them and they want to keep it that way, you know. Um, I just spoke with one of the girls yesterday. She hasn't been down in quite a while. She's been in recovery for two years, and her father just died. And she's having a really rough time with that. And so just coming in and and sitting down with me or any of the other people, she feels better. You know, you try to keep them at that point where they don't want to go out and they don't want to pick up because... They have triggers, too, you know, and maybe an old song or a certain thing that they did with their father and seeing something on TV will bring that back, you know, in the forefront and cause them what, you know, that point where they want to go out and use and you got to be there for them and give them that hope and the strength to stay away from all these things and Remind them, pick up the phone, call your sponsor, you know, talk to them. If you don't have a sponsor, you need to get one. I mean, we're here for you to talk to, but you need someone one-on-one that you can talk to at all times. Hmm. And this three-part series does focus mainly on opioids, but obviously in this area, that's not the only struggle. However, would you say that there is a particular drug that you see is a little harder to get off of when it comes to recovery, or is it just kind of a a variant when it comes to that? I would say opioids are the hardest thing to come off of, you know, and now you can use like Suboxone, you know, methadone, any of those um, MATs to help you, you know, and um, Vivitrol, the shot Vivitrol. And for anyone who may not know exactly what those MATs are, can you kind of explain how it helps an addict in recovery? That is a medicated assisted treatment. You can get the Vivitrol. It's a shot and it works for the opioids as well as alcoholism. Okay, Uh, Suboxone for your opioids. And upstairs in our center, we have Rainbow Recovery, and they do the methadone, which is a treatment. And um, they go for that, and they go at a certain dose, and they work their way down Mm -hmm. from that dose. But the... um, The others, like I said, the Vivitrol is a once a month shot that they get, and the Suboxone is a daily treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, you get so much per day. Say you're on a pill or you're on something like that. Mm -hmm. My granddaughter is on the Suboxone Mm -hmm. herself, and that's helping her. You know, the programs work. You just have to want it for yourself. Mm And is there ever a time where 
a recovering addict would stop taking those medications because obviously recovery is a journey. So do you recommend that they stop at some point in time or is this something that is a lifelong thing that they always have to kind of medicate in order to stay away from the drugs that they were taking before? They can go off of them. When my granddaughter was on the Vivitrol, like two weeks before you got your next dose, it started wearing down. And so she had those feelings that she wanted to go back out and Mm -hmm. use. So you have to stay on these medications. And the methadone, if you want to go off of that, you have to go back through detox again and go through that process to get detox as if you were, you know, using your drugs all over again. And I can't answer really well for um, Rainbow. My treasurer works for Rainbow. I know that they can go down from their high dose to small doses, but they're not supposed to stay on them long term, but Mm -hmm. some people do, Mm -hmm. you know. Just to combat. Right. Nice. So switching gears here, not only are you the president of the center, but you've also had some experience with the court system and criminal justice. So can you kind of just talk about what you've seen when it comes to drug addiction and courts and how maybe in the past things weren't as lenient or as they are now or they're not trying to work with addicts as much as they are now because they realize that addiction is a disease and it takes over that person so Mm -hmm. sometimes people make decisions not in the best headspace so can you kind of just talk a little bit about your experience with the drug system and criminal justice when it comes to recovering addicts okay I've been in the um, criminal justice system working since like 1990 okay working with the DA in Las Vegas I worked back here with Judge Russo he was a magistrate in that and now I am a mentor for the treatment court and like three or four of my girls have graduated from the program so I'm not so involved right now but I'm going to get back into it just have had some family sicknesses but I see that we needed a treatment court and I rallied for that and Judge Yates had me involved in that to get it going and um, I was very very um, blessed to be a part of that so in the system and in the treatment court I can see you know the different phases and I did treatment court in Nevada too so you would see them working and keeping sober, keeping clean, and then something would throw them off and they would use. So they would be dropped down to a different phase again, same as we do here in Mercer County. They drop them back down to, there's like four to five phases, so maybe they drop them down to three. If that doesn't work, drop them back down another one, and they have to work their way back up. They do... um, essays for the judge. Judge Amrine is our drug court um, judge and um, he would have them write essays and they would read them out loud in front of all the other participants in that. Um, If they are caught using because they do 
drug screens daily or every other day, maybe every three days, depending on what phase they're in. If they use, the judge might put them back into jail for a specific amount of time to sober up and then put them back in a treatment program. Like I said, I've seen multiple people graduate from the program and it's still working. They do an after court program as well and they go in so often and maintain their testing and stuff. I've also seen some that have graduated from the program and have gone right back out and used. So it's got to be what's in their heart that they want this for themselves. They want a better life for themselves, for their children. You know, some of them have used with their parents, you know. So it's hard for them. They've ha they have to separate themselves from family members when they're in the treatment program or they have to separate themselves from their husband, their boyfriend, you know, because they're still out there in addiction. But here's someone that wants to be clean, but they're struggling because their counterpart is using. So like I said, the judge will put them back in a treatment program, will put them back in jail if he's given them so many opportunities and they've just kept going out. You know, the more chances you give someone, the more that they think there's always going to be another chance. And do you see that maybe like these treatment courts, do they have like a, a high success rate? Do you find that they're, they're working for a lot of people or? Do, you know, there are more, multiple people that have graduated from the program and they keep bringing in new people. So it is working, mm -hmm. you know, but like I said, some people don't really want it. They, right. yeah. they are only going in that treatment program to stay out of jail or to be sentenced on more serious charges. Mm -hmm. So right. yeah. there is your answer. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think this treatment court is the best way to combat with drug addictions or any case files that have to do with drugs or that have led up to that type of situation? I do believe that it's important that if they are caught selling or, and I'm just saying a little bit, saying marijuana or something, or they're using drugs, they're caught with heroin or, or whatever, you know, they've got to agree to this treatment court. It's not something that we can just put everybody in. They have to want it for themselves or, you know, the judge would be overwhelmed with, you know, 500 people that want to be in this treatment court, but they only want to be there because they want their charges not to be as serious or whatever. But it is a fantastic program. I see that it works in Mercer County, just like it does in other counties. And... We've just got to get more funding for the courts to keep it going and pray that people want this for themselves. All righty. Well, as we wrap things up for this part of the three-part series, are there any last things that you would like to get out to the community, maybe like a call to action or any resources that you would like to just pass along? You never know who may be listening to this, who may be struggling with addiction or whose family member just might need some mm -hmm. advice moving forward. Well, I would like them to know that they can go on our website, roarcenter.mccda.org, 
and pull up a calendar of the daily events, you know, what we're doing there, the times for our recovery meetings. I can't tell you exactly which ones they are, but we have all of them, and that's because they're anonymous. Mm -hmm. And we have, like, resolutions comes on Thursday nights, and that's the new treatment facility out there in Farrell. We have the arts and crafts. We have the karaoke. We have multiple programs. The doors open usually in the morning by 8.30, and we provide coffee for anyone that wants to come in and socialize or just sit down with us and talk. We have a gala coming up that I wanted to mention on January 28th down at the Corinthian. We're going to have our biggest fundraiser of the year. And we have a dinner. We have Epic is going to be our band. They're playing. We have a huge um, Chinese auction that we do. And um, we try to bring in as much money as we can to keep our doors open. I hope that we can get more people out there. We have a family meeting every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at the center that I host, and it's for families of those in addiction. We also have some addicts in there that are in recovery that come in and they sit down and participate with our program, and it's been a huge help to a lot of our members to hear from the attic because when they come in it's like I was the first time my child gets out of treatment and I'm on my way home from Pittsburgh and I'm like oh my god she's cured she's cured well that's the farthest thing from it it could be 14 15 rehabs before they get to that point you know but coming in and hearing other people say I've been there it's going to get better you know, helps them. And right now, we have like 14, 15 people in our Tuesday night meetings. So please, if your family is struggling and you have someone in addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, you know, please stop in and talk to us. Come to our meetings. Um, we're there to help you. And we'll give you that hug that you need that tells you it will be all right. Well, Gloria, I just want to thank you for coming on the show this week. It sounds like you're doing some really great work out there and important work, too. So if you are listening to this um, and you are struggling with addiction or know someone who is over the course of these past three episodes, you know, we've given plenty of resources here. There's a lot out there in Mercer County if you're looking for help, if you know somebody needs help. So don't hesitate to make those phone calls or reach out to those people. But yeah, that'll do it this week on the New Generation Podcast and for this three-part series on the opioid epidemic. I want to thank you again, Gloria, for coming on. We're here every Saturday. Check us out. You know where to find us. The Herald's website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and of course, the New Generation Sports Report as well every Thursday. So thanks again, guys, for listening. And thank you, Gloria. Thank you for having me. 